The following sermon is brought to you by Cornerstone Baptist Church. For more information on our teaching and preaching ministry, visit us online at cornerstoneorlando.org. The Worship of the Worthy One, Part 2, Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. So we read through that text, uh, reading through that text in your hearing, um, it's helpful like, uh, just reading through scripture like that because of all that we've learned over the last multiple several weeks as we've worked through chapter four and chapter five in particular. Uh, I hope that it, it's beginning to happen for you that as we read through those verses, those, um, all those lessons come back to mind, you know, what those words mean and what the images are pertaining to. And uh, just as you continue to read, as you continue to learn, it'll really impact the way that you read scripture. And that's really, really helpful for us, especially as we're working through a book uh, like this. So... Uh, In our study of Revelation now, we've arrived at the end of the throne room scene in Revelation chapter 5. This throne room scene in heaven, uh, a picture of heavenly worship that John has given. And it's a scene that that spans chapter 4 and chapter 5 in the letter. Uh, In this scene, a scene that is given uh, to encourage the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in her time of tribulation, the Lord Jesus Christ, the lion from the tribe of Judah, has prevailed to take the scroll from the right hand of him who sits on the throne, and he has begun to reign. Uh, Soon we'll see in chapter 6 the Lord beginning to break the seals and to execute God's good providence uh, in his judgments, in his decrees uh, in history. We'll see that beginning next week in chapter 6. The lamb, the the lion from the tribe of Judah, has been given all authority, uh, has been given authority to reign. He alone can open the scroll, loose its seven seals. He alone has sovereign control over executing the decrees and the judgments of God that are written in that scroll. And the full and final fulfillment of all the promises of God concerning his people has begun to be or has been inaugurated uh, in this rule, in this reign of Jesus Christ over the kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ has received the kingdom and now he will bring all of those good judgments, those good decrees of God to their completion. Uh, This is referenced in Hebrews chapter two with respect to man. Listen to Hebrews chapter two. He was made a little lower than the angels so that all things would be made subject to him. He partook of flesh and blood, uh, that through the suffering of death, he would be crowned with glory and honor. And now, having been crowned with glory and honor, he is given the name which is above every name. Colossians chapter 1, by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of a new creation, the firstborn from the dead. In all things, he has preeminence. He's ruling over a kingdom. Amen? Uh, He is the king. And now, he reigns, as the Bible says, until he has put all enemies in subjection under his feet. Now, think with me for a moment. Jesus Christ now reigns over God's kingdom, the everlasting kingdom that has been inaugurated in the Lord Jesus Christ. He reigns over God's kingdom as heir to the Davidic throne. He has always had all authority as sovereign God himself, but now he has been given all authority as a man who has prevailed. That's significant. He had authority as Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. But Jesus Christ has been given all of this, uh, all authority as 
a man who now rules on David's throne, rules over the everlasting kingdom, declared, as Paul said, Romans chapter one, declared to be the son of God with power. That's not a powerful declaration, mind you. That's a powerful son of God, right? He's the son of God with power. And he was declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from among dead ones. His resurrection as a man to the Davidic throne, to the kingdom, is a declaration of his sonship, the true son of the living God. That reign as a man is in fulfillment, really, of God's original intentions for Adam and God's original intentions for the creation. Hebrews chapter 2 is speaking of the reign of Jesus Christ, and in Hebrews chapter 2, he quotes Psalm 8, referring to the reign of man. Listen to this, verse 6. Speaking of man, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. What did God do with Adam in the garden? He gave Adam dominion. Take dominion, subdue the creation, be fruitful and multiply, spread image bearers across the face of the earth, right? Cover the earth with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That was Adam's mandate. And Adam failed in that mandate by sinning against God. But now this is God's original intention for man. You've made him, man, to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. Do you remember all that language from Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, right? All that pass through the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Now this psalm, um, Psalm 8, is in reference to the rule of Jesus Christ as a man, (laughs) the man God, the God man risen from the dead. Jesus Christ has fulfilled that mandate given to Adam in the sense that he now rules over the creation as the worthy one. He rules as true vice regent, if you will, over all creation. He has prevailed where Adam failed. And the restoration of God's kingdom on the earth is a restoration of man's rule as a vice regent. The restoration of the kingdom is a restoration of what fell apart with Adam. Do you see? And the restoration of the kingdom now with the true Adam, the last Adam, the great Adam, the great Adam now takes his place as vice regent over all creation. Jesus Christ, the first fruits, firstborn among many brethren, anointed by the Spirit, Jesus Christ has overcome the accuser. Jesus Christ has taken dominion. Jesus Christ has become fruitful, multiplying image bearers of God through the preaching of the gospel. Where Adam fails, Jesus Christ prevails. You see? Daniel 7, when he receives the kingdom at his ascension, the saints then receive the kingdom with him. That was a text we referenced uh, this morning in the sermon. The saints receive the kingdom in union with Jesus Christ. He was anointed with the Spirit, we too are anointed with the Spirit, are we not? Uh, he, he possesses the kingdom. We now possess the kingdom in our union with him. As he rules and reigns over the kingdom, he has made us, Revelation chapter 1, now Revelation chapter 5, he has made us to be kings and priests to our God. Now there is, as we think about this subject, in the kingdom of God and the saints receiving the kingdom, there is an already and a not yet associated with that reign, right? As much of our eschatology is already and not yet. Inaugurated, not yet consummated. There is an already and a not yet associated with the reign of believers. Um, Our reign has begun in Jesus Christ, but we do not yet see all things under his feet. Do you see? Not yet. Already, not yet. 
the kingdom of God and his reign, the reign of Jesus Christ, is a present reality, but the consummation awaits his future return in glory. When he returns, that fulfillment of vice regency on the earth, the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ over the everlasting kingdom will be established on the earth and that vice regency will be, will be fully established, will be fully consummated. Our GB cared regarding the, the present reign of believers as priests and kings on the earth. He said this, listen, for the church has been appointed by Christ to be a royal house of priests, to mediate, what does a priest do? A priest mediates, right? To mediate his royal and priestly authority to the whole world. Through the church, he is to uh, exercise his sovereignty over the nations, smashing their resistance to his rule and releasing their subjects for a new and better loyalty. What is the Lord Jesus Christ doing right now during this time? He's plundering the strong man's house. He's plundering the house of the strong man. Uh, when the Lord came um, and the disciples were in awe that even the demons were subject to them in his name, the Lord said, well, be thankful that your names are written in heaven, right? That, that's what you should be glorying in. However, uh, what is the Lord Jesus Christ doing when he is casting out demons? He's showing that he's been given all authority over that realm. What is the Lord doing when he heals physical infirmities and he restores a withered hand or causes one uh, born lame uh, to walk? He is showing his power, his authority over even the natural, quote unquote, laws of our world. Um, he has the power and he has come uh, and he now uh, in showing his authority over demons and over the demonic realm by casting out demons. He's plundering the strong man's house. Um, those that he wants to take out of this world to himself, he takes out of this world to himself, right? Those elect ones, he calls and they come. Why? Because they are his, they belong to him and he'll take out whom he wants to take out. In that sense, Satan is bound. Satan is, can do nothing. <laughs> Satan is powerless. He is a defeated foe. Uh, Satan is, has been defeated. Victory has occurred over Satan. So Jesus Christ has come. He takes out of the, the world uh, people to himself. Satan can do nothing about it, right? He's plundering the strong man's house. Here, it's through the church. He exercises his sovereignty over the nations, smashing their resistance to his rule and releasing their subjects for a new and better loyalty. That's through the preaching of the gospel, the people of God come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the church, he is to mediate God's forgiveness and lead the world to repentance. And all this that he, they may achieve only by following the lamb wherever he goes. We, we, God's people, the church, mediate his authority in this world by preaching the gospel, um, by obeying and following the lamb wherever he goes. You see, the kingdom is now. And there'll be a sermon coming on this soon enough. The kingdom is now. <laughs> the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ has been inaugurated. He received the kingdom. Daniel chapter seven. He received the kingdom. Revelation chapter five. Uh, he has taken the scroll and he has begun to rule. The kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ has been inaugurated. It will be consummated when he returns. When he returns in glory and he casts down the wicked, judges the wicked, and lifts up his people, that everlasting kingdom will be fully consummated and will spend an eternity with him. This age, age to come. This age, age to come. The kingdom has begun. The saints are ruling and reigning upon the earth now. He has made us kings and priests to our God. Now, those fulfillments presently inaugurated will certainly absolutely be brought to a final consummation. 
The Lord Jesus Christ, the overcomer, the conqueror, the worthy one, has taken the scroll and has begun to reign. There's a great deal of significance then associated with this scene in Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5. A tremendous amount of significance. It causes all of creation to erupt in worship and praise. We think about all that this entails, all that's going on in Revelation chapter 5. All of creation erupts in praise at the worthy one coming to take the scroll. First, the four living creatures, the 24 elders representing the church in verse 9, all singing a new song in praise of the Lamb for his great victory. New songs sung in celebration of a deliverance that God has provided. And they sing, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. In the words of Peter, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are living stones being built up into a spiritual temple, the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And it's from this spiritual house that we as a holy priesthood offer up the spiritual sacrifices of praise and worship to Jesus Christ, the worthy one, the one who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are a royal priesthood. When we praise, brothers and sisters, when we worship the Lord on earth, We're offering the sacrifice of praise as a holy priesthood. (laughs) We're offering the sacrifice of praise. And we participate in that way in the worship of heaven. We are the king priests of our God. We are a new creation. We are a new humanity, a new people. We have entered a new kingdom, reigning on the earth offering the sacrifice of praise in our worship, our prayers ascending into the heavenly temple as a sweet-smelling incense before the throne. And that's all um, the implications, if you will, of the Lord Jesus Christ taking the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat, sat on the throne and beginning his rule and reign. The second, that worship of heaven in chapter 5 then expands to the whole heavenly host that is gathered around the throne. And we pick up our text then in verse 11. John says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That, That chorus of praise is now expanded as we pull back from center to see in those concentric circles of worshipers, now murias of angels, literally myriads, murias, myriads of angels. It's a number that technically would mean 10,000, but it's used symbolically of a vast innumerable multitude. Myriads of angels that comprise the heavenly host and myriads of myriads, thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. Myriads upon myriads, myriads, a vast, innumerable host. It's expressed symbolically here too in multiples of 10. A 10 being a number of perfection symbolically in apocalyptic literature. A thousand being, again, a number symbolically representing a vast number and a measurable number. Um, Thousands of thousands and 10,000s times 10,000s, myriads upon myriads. It's a lot, is what that, 
<laughs> to make a long story short, it's a lot, uh, a vast innumerable host of angels. Now again, this recounts the scene that was shown to us in Daniel chapter 7. And again, we see this connection between Daniel chapter 7, Revelation 4, Revelation 5. In Daniel chapter 7, the ancient of days is seated upon the throne and a thousand thousands ministered to him, a vast immeasurable number. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And it was into this expansive scene with myriads upon myriads of the heavenly host around the throne worshiping God that Daniel says this, and behold, into that scene, one like the son of man, Coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. When did this take place? Again, it took place at the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he conquered, he received the kingdom. Then upon that, all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion, he has all dominion, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. This is a fulfillment, if you will, of Nebuchadnezzar's vision, a dream in Daniel chapter two, the statue and the, the establishment of a kingdom which will never be destroyed. It was a fulfillment, if you will, of those visions in Daniel of the beasts, uh, the kingdoms of this earth, and their replacement. They were put down, and they were replaced by a kingdom that would last forever and ever, that would never be destroyed. And now, at the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, that kingdom has been inaugurated, and Jesus Christ has begun to reign. You see? We're not, the, the, the moral of that is that we're not awaiting some future kingdom. The kingdom is now. The kingdom has been inaugurated. It was inaugurated at the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pilate asks him, are you a king? What did Jesus reply? It is as you've said. <laughs> the kingdom has begun and the saints are ruling and reigning with him. So we're not awaiting some future kingdom. The kingdom is now and it is the one which will never be destroyed. This age, age to come. Do you see? We'll talk about that more as we go. That took place, that scene in Daniel 7, at the bodily ascension, the bodily ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ into heaven. The one worthy to take the scroll and open its seal is giving all, given all authority on earth and in heaven, and he begins to reign. And all of the promises of God will find their full and completed consummation in him. Those myriads upon myriads of angels who worshiped God or worshiped before the Ancient of Days seated upon the throne... They erupt in praise uh, when the Lamb of God prevails to take the scroll. Erupt in praise. Their worship, certainly an appropriate response, if you will, to the circumstance and the significance of that circumstance, but their worship and appropriate, a very reasonable, a rational response to his worthiness. That worship, a response to his worthiness. Their voices are added to the four living creatures and the 24 elders in verse 12, saying, that word lego, again, it's, it's words rather than singing, and I find that interesting. Words rather than singing. But saying in verse 12, saying with a loud voice. And you can imagine, can't you, the, 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 uh, the sound of it, um, that vast, immeasurable, innumerable host in unison saying these words, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power 
and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And as more and more are added to the worship, as those concentric circles around the throne encompass more and more of the created order, the focus of their worship is not altered. They're saying the same thing, proclaiming the same thing. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is he to take the scroll. He is worthy to receive the worship of heaven. Do you see? And what does that worship consist of? That worship consists of ascriptions of his worthiness, ascriptions of praise, ascriptions of adoration that are in keeping with his worthiness. As uh, last week, uh, this worship is reminiscent of the worship of God in 1 Chronicles 29. Listen to 1 Chronicles 29. Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glory name. Uh, that's reasonable. <laughs> it's, it's glorious. It's beautiful, the worship of God, uh, and for all his worthiness, and all that he is, and all that he has done. Uh, but that is reasonable worship for one who is worthy, the worship of the worthy one. These ascriptions of worthiness are only multiplied, appropriately multiplied there, as David considers his worthiness, and David says, power and glory and victory and majesty and exaltation and riches and honor and power and might and greatness and strength. It's just the words are multiplied. Ascriptions of worth, ascriptions of praise multiplied. Now notice, first, the angels worship Jesus Christ here just as they worship God the Father. You find that interesting? In the same way, using the same words, worship Jesus Christ as they have worshipped the Ancient of Days, the one seated upon the throne. The same ascriptions of praise, the same ascriptions of worthiness. Now, what does that tell us? That's another indication among many in Scripture that Jesus Christ is God. He is God the Son. The second, the angels worship Jesus Christ in the same manner as they worship God the Father. Revelation chapter 4, verse 9. Listen to the worship of God. Revelation chapter 4, verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give honor and glory and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, they're worshiping God the Father. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Does this sound familiar? Sounds just like the worship that the Lord Jesus Christ receives in Revelation chapter 5. It's the same worship. Jesus Christ is equally worthy. He counted equality with God, Philippians chapter 2, a thing not to be grasped for. He is equal with God and worthy of the same worship. Verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain, literally sfadzo. It means slaughtered. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered. Worthy is he to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The word for blessing 
different from the word for blessed or blessed in Scripture. Uh, the word for blessing here, that word for blessed meaning happy or fulfilled. Uh, we see that word in the Beatitudes. The word for blessing here is the Greek word eulogia. It's a word from which we get a eulogy, our word eulogy. In other words, he is worthy to receive ascriptions of praise from our lips with our words. The praise and adoration of our words about him and to him in worship. We are to express, if you will, words of eulogy, words of praise, uh, offering up praises to him in our worship. And if you think about that, as we express, what do, what do our words express? Our words express our, our understanding, our minds, our heart, uh, what, we, what has been revealed to us, what we've apprehended, what we've embraced by faith, our words, uh, the overflow, if you will, of our heart. Worship, in that sense, engages the heart. It engages the heart. The one whom we love is the object of our worship. The one whom we honor and praise, the object of our worship, is the one that fills our heart, <laughs> fills the affections of our heart. We worship, the worship engages our soul. The mind of a person is engaged as we worship. It should be. We're not worshiping in ignorance. We're worshiping. These, these ascriptions of praise, these ascriptions of his worth, come from an informed understanding of who he is and what he's done. Right? They're not mindless uh, ascriptions. So this worship engages the mind. Worship should engage the strength. Heart, soul, mind, and Strength. We should worship God with our whole being, uh, with our whole soul, uh, with enthusiasm, with zeal, with joy. So all of that, that worship that engages heart, soul, mind, and strength, all ascends higher and higher, if you will, as our view of the risen Christ revealed in the scriptures um, as that takes a greater focus in our heart and mind, as we understand more and more who he is and what he's done, uh, that worship should ascend, as it were, uh, before God. That vision naturally compels eulogies of praise. It is a, a rational, reasonable response of the creature to a revelation of God for the creature to worship him. Um, and again, we are saved, as in the words of Peter, that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, our worship, brothers and sisters, will one day be there in that company. We'll worship there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Hebrews says, but you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. They're all there together, right? We're all together in worship. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkling, the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We'll join them in their worship. Finally, in this text, uh, in those concentric circles, as we see the circles expanded now, we, we see the worship of this heavenly host expanded to include the entire cosmos, the entire cosmos. Verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, in other words, all of creation in praise, everything. Now think with me for a moment. All of creation in praise, nothing and no one excluded. 
except for those who have rejected him in rebellion against him. I mean, think on that for a moment. The one who is worthy of all worship, worthy of all praise, such that the entire created order and everything, everything that is in it, worships and praises the king, except with the sole exception of that rebel who has rejected him. Do you see the treason, the treason of that? It'd be like this innumerable host in heaven, all worshiping God for his worthiness, for how um, uh, wonderful he is and all that he has done for us and giving of his own son. All of these truths that we proclaim, all of these truths, and there's a guy standing in the back of the room with like, can you imagine? No, and that's why it doesn't happen. (laughs) Everything, everything in creation praises his name. Where are those who are not? They're going to be cast into the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone. God's cosmic waste dump, if you will, for those who rebel against him, and they will glorify God in their condemnation for all eternity. They'll glorify God's justice for all of eternity as they are the objects of his justice in eternity. Do you see? All of creation in praise because the one who is the object of our praise is worthy. He is worthy of that praise. No one and nothing excluded. Don't be a a traitor. Stop persisting in your rebellion. If you've not turned to Jesus Christ in faith, you are a rebel. You're a traitor. You've committed treachery against him. And that treachery, that treason will not go unpunished. God will magnify his justice in the condemnation of the wicked. Heaven, earth, under the earth, in the sea, those all refer to the realms from which idolatrous men fashion their idols. Uh, that language is a reflection of that, that language given in the law in Exodus chapter 20, where God commands men, you shall have no other gods before me. That language is in Exodus 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor shall you serve them. It's in verse 11 there. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. The Lord is in sovereign authority over all of the created order, over all the cosmos. Uh, There's not a square centimeter of this universe that he is not in sovereign control over. And everything comes to praise his name as the one who is worthy. And men can find no excuse for their idols in those places. Verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven, every creature on the earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying all together, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Nothing exists in the cosmos. That's what that word means, by the way. Cosmos in the Greek, it means order. It's a word for God's created order. It is his. He has made it. He is the one who created the cosmos. Nothing exists in the entirety of God's cosmos that does not have a testimony of praise of his worthiness to be praised, a testimony of worship, if you will, to the one who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Uh, The lamb, even, 
having redeemed all things, not just us as people, but having redeemed all things to himself. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It's a text we're going to look at next week, Lord willing. Even, verse 18, the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The creation is awaiting its liberty. (laughs) The creation is awaiting uh, itself being delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know, verse 22, that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So even the creation erupts in the worship of God when the worthy one takes the scroll. Everything about creation will bear witness to the worthy one, will bear witness to the ancient of days seated upon the throne. The four living creatures representing creation, the 24 elders representing the church, myriads upon myriads of angels, a multitude which no man can number out of every tribe, people, nation, and tongue, and everything which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. Everything praises the Lord. Worship of the worthy one, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world, receiving the worship of the cosmos. It's an awesome thought, an awesome picture. And uh, we'll participate in that. (laughs) We participate in it now. I'm looking forward to being there. Um, All uh, eulogia, words of praise, right? Their testimony goes out into all the earth. Um, Ascriptions of honor, all things terminating in his glory alone. These are ascriptions of praise, right? Um, glory belongs to him. Blessing, words of praise, honor, ascriptions of honor. Uh, he is the honorable one. Uh, glory, all things terminating in his glory and power, his sovereign power over the creation. May they be to him who sits on the throne, the father, and to the lamb forever and forever. All of that revealed, if you will, to us in glory by the eternal spirit, the triune God worthy of worship forever and ever. Verse 14, then the four living creatures said, and um, that amen there, the four living creatures said amen, that's an imperfect active indicative for you all studying the grammar. Uh, It means they kept on saying over and over again. They kept on saying. It wasn't a single amen. It was every time there was uh, some eruption of praise, it's amen, and then another amen, and another amen, amens, echoing in the vaults of heaven uh, throughout this innumerable host of worshipers, the four living creatures, amen, 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 and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. With all of creation, we will with one mind and with one mouth, with one heart, so to speak, we will all glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 96, verse 1. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim. You see that ascription of eulogia, ascription of words of praise. Proclaiming the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. Amen. We have the privilege and the blessing of doing that now. 
Uh, we do that by his spirit when we participate in his worship on the Lord's day. And when we gather together as God's people, we're a little microcosm, if you will, of that vast innumerable host. Our gathering is not insignificant because our gathering is in worship and praise of the worthy one. And why are you here? Why are you here? We're here to worship and praise the worthy one, <laughs> the one who has redeemed us by his blood. Our worship joins with their worship even now, and it will one day be made whole with theirs, as it were, when we're present with them. Uh, the assembly of the firstborn registered in heaven, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, worshiping and praising him. We look forward to that day, brothers and sisters, but let's worship here in light of that day. We worship here in hope of that day. Uh, we worship when we come together uh, as a, a foretaste, if you will, of that worship of heaven, and we should worship as they do, heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, because the Lord has redeemed us and he is worthy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we praise you that you've made us worshipers. Uh, we find our soul's satisfaction. We find our soul's joy. Our hearts leap. We are filled with gratitude and thanksgiving when we praise and worship the one seated upon the throne and the lamb. And we, Lord, offer you ascriptions of praise and worship. May all glory and honor and blessing be to your name. Uh, Lord, may you be enthroned in our praise. May you inhabit the praise of your people, embraced in our praise, Lord. May you be hallowed in our sight. We thank you, Lord, that you've made us worshipers. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you've redeemed us, that we might worship you in eternity. And I pray, Lord, that you'd be pleased and magnified, exalted in our worship. May you be extolled, our great God and our King. And may our worship rise forever and forever. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.